0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org. Welcome everybody. Uh, We're here today. We're going to chat about the importance of Sangha, which means spiritual friends or community. So it's so great to speak um, on this subject today because we had a really fun sangha gathering last night. We went to Crystal Cove. Wendy planned something really nice. And it's Wendy's belated birthday. Happy birthday. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So it was really neat to come together. We went on a little... We actually didn't go for a hike. We just went down to the beach and then had a little food together, had a little sit, and then we did mindful walking along the beach, and it was really nice. And then the best part was afterwards. So we went, you know, had this little mindful walking, a little sit, and the sun had set. And we're all just staring at the ocean. It was very calm, it was very amazing. And, oh, we noticed some dolphins, and we're like, oh, beautiful dolphin, so cool. And then one of the dolphins jumped out of the water, like, full breach, right, out of the water. I'm like, oh, that's amazing, oh, my God. And then right after that, this other dolphin jumped like it was like a marine world or something, like sea world or something, right? <laughs> I've never seen anything like it, like, just jumped straight. Straight up out of the water. is incredible, right? wow. Oh, I wasn't there. Oh, you I had left? I'd left. No way. But it was so funny because I was looking at the ocean. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, all we need are the dolphins. Uh, all we need are the dolphins. I forgot that you guys had... You had Sunday. just left. I did. You had just left. Uh-huh. Oh, my favorite bit. Oh, oh it was... It, it, yeah. Well, now I don't want to talk it up too much. It was all right. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You missed I'm the actually. most spectacular, spectacular thing ever. <laughs> uh, no, it was... It was amazing. It was straight up. Straight there up. Straight like, up. Yeah. Like in As he dove back in. Wow. It was like a trick. I was just like, it was amazing. It was like ten feet out of there. Straight up. I was like, oh my god. Yeah. It was so cool. So the Sangha. So usually when we speak about the Sangha, it's in the context of the three jewels. Um, taking refuge in uh, the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And uh, so I'll talk a little bit maybe first about what it means to take refuge. What do we mean by that, taking refuge? <clears throat> and then what is this Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha? And how it relates to, you know, to Buddhism, but also the scope of just the spiritual path. So if we look at taking refuge... The word refuge, let's say if we're out in a storm and we need a place to take refuge, uh, we're going to seek shelter somewhere, right? So when you look at the definition of refuge, seeking refuge in the, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, means that we, we're seeking refuge from something. And in this context, we're seeking refuge from, from samsara, From the three poisons of attachment, aversion, and ignorance, which is wrong view, right? We seeing this reality not quite so correctly, and it's causing us suffering. So this is what we're taking refuge from. This is we're seeking safety from this endless cycle of of suffering. And so when we when we look at it from that context it's really a heart experience when we when we plan on taking refuge and, and in the Buddhist sense I mean, this is an actual ceremony we take we take refuge um, so it's a ceremony but it also I think for me there's an instance you know personally where I took refuge without knowing it just in this and, and I woke up when I was a teenager and I said, you know, this can't be it. <laughs> this can't, there's nothing in this life that I could perceive of that's going to give me lasting, sustainable happiness. I must find out what the zenith of this human existence is and, and, and go for that. You know. And from all I knew, I didn't really knew, know what it meant. Maybe I still don't know what it means, but I thought it had something to do with this word enlightenment. That was it. Like it was something about this awakening to a truth that supersedes uh, anything that I could find on this material plane, you know. And so it's this conviction of heart, like I, I definitely need this. I'm, I'm done, you know. I'm done with seeking it elsewhere. In my tradition, the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, we do uh, something called the nundro, which is the uh, preliminary practice, and we do some things a hundred thousand times. And one of the things is we take refuge a hundred thousand times. And one of the things that we do is is we do prostrations as we take refuge. You know, I take refuge in the, the Buddha, the Dharma Sangha, and and as we as we say this, we're doing a prostration. Yeah. And what I got from doing these prostrations was that conviction that absolutely there's nothing else. There's nothing else that can give me this freedom. And I don't know exactly how to get this freedom, so I'm going to trust others that have already done so. And and I'm going to choose, just for my personal uh, reasonings, I'm going to choose something called Buddhism. Because Buddhism has, in its lineage, masters that have time and time again taught others how to achieve freedom. So I'm going to take refuge in that. So taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. So unpacking those a little bit. What is the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha? And they say the most important, and which will be our emphasis today, is the Sangha. Within the Sangha is the Buddha and is the Dharma. Right? So when we look at those three aspects, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, they actually come in three different levels. This is the outside, the inside, and the innermost. So we're taking refuge in three different flavors, if you will, of each. So the Buddha, the outside Buddha, is a historical Buddha taking refuge in this amazing uh, being that, uh, that lived and gave us great teachings. So taking refuge in this. And then the, the inside refuge is that we're not taking refuge in, in an external Buddha, but we're taking refuge in the Buddha within, within our own Buddha nature. And then the innermost refuge is that we're taking refuge in the Buddha nature that is in all of us. Each and every one of us have Buddha nature. So this is the innermost of Buddha nature. And so same thing with the Dharma. So the Dharma is uh, the teachings of the Buddha. So the outside is the, the teachings that we get, the, the scriptures, the texts, all, all of those teachings. Then we're also taking refuge in the dharma that is inside of us, right? That we have all the teachings. We know all the teachings. Taking refuge in and trust that they're all inside, right here. And the innermost dharma is all of life, all of life is the teaching. Every single, uh, anything that is arising is the essence of the teaching. Every one we see, every, all phenomena that are arising, it's all the teachings. And then taking refuge in the Sangha. So historically, in, during Buddha's time, the Sangha would refer to the monastics, but now the term is, has grown to encompass uh, all of the, what we'd consider, say, in Western terms, like a congregation, if you will. So our spiritual community, our spiritual community of friends. And so looking at this from the outside, it's our community of friends. When we look and take refuge on the inside, again, it's this It's the Sangha that lives within. We could be our own Sangha, right? It's a living, breathing, a teaching. It's that part of us that knows what to do and how to be wholesome and we ourselves can guide us. I kind of look at it from the good angel and the bad angel. You know, it's like good angel. It's the inner Sangha, right? And then the innermost Sangha, again, is that all beings are our Sangha. So all beings have Buddha nature, all beings have the teachings, so everyone is a spiritual friend. so we're looking at everyone like this. This here reminds me of a story there was there was a man who was seek who was seeking this teacher, he was looking for this teacher and he uh He goes to the home of the teacher, and the teacher's not there, this great saint. Uh, His wife is there, and he says, I'm looking for this saint. And she says, oh, he's he's not here right now. He's actually facilitating a funeral nearby. You can go there and find him. He says, well, I I don't know what he looks like. And she says, well, that's okay. You'll see that when you get there, everybody at the funeral is going to be having will will have a halo over their head. And after the ceremony, wait. And as everyone disperses and walks away, he will be the only one that remains with a halo on his head. And the moral of the story was, you know, in that in that context is that when we're around a ceremony, that reminds us of impermanence, of death, right? We get very holy, <laughs> right? Let's say at a funeral or something, we say, oh, you know, this life is impermanent or something, yeah? So it connects us. It connects us to that. And, and yet when we move away from that situation or like-minded people of holding that, then when we leave that, our halos fall away, our connection falls away. But that saint who is always connected, right, was always connected to truth, right, his remained. And when we're around our sangha, our spiritual friends, we're always reminded of what really matters, right? We hold ourselves to what really matters, we remind over and over. Just the presence. Like we have maybe friends from a lot of different parts of life. You know, I have like friends that do a certain hobby that I do or this and that. And then we have our spiritual friends. And around our spiritual friends, we act a certain way. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm this Casey today and I'm that Casey. You know, we have, but we hold each other. And I remember this and this kind of goes back to what I was saying, it was before I knew what a Sangha was or a spiritual community was, I was working in construction as a, you know, early, in my early 20s, and I had unknowingly, unconsciously, I made a spiritual friend, right? I had a friend on the job site, and we got to talking about philosophy and metaphysics and spirituality, and he was a seeker too. And I remember after work one day, him and I were talking, and I started gossiping about somebody unknowingly. I just I started gossiping, and he just paused, and he had this weird look on his face, mm-hmm. and he looked at me, and he says, well, I just didn't think you were the type of person to say that or to, you know, to be talking like that, and it, and it was so wonderful. He was holding me from his vision of me and how we came together. He was holding me to that. So he saw, without us knowing what right speech was in Buddhism, you know, he was holding me to right speech. And I wanted to be held to right speech. And at that moment, I thought, what the heck am I doing? You know, like, yeah, why am I doing this? Right? It was so great to have him. Say that and actually have the courage, and but also to see how the relationship was, and that I was uh, that it had come to that uh, meeting place of holding each other in that way. That was my first introduction to that. Yeah, it was really really nice, really nice, and then of course from then on, whenever I was around him, we had a certain understanding that we were going to stick with the wholesome, right. And so this is, this is so important. I like how Thich Han was talking about how, how Buddha, you know, he said the next, the next Buddha that comes, so there's been many Buddhas, the last historical Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha. And the next one is gonna be Maitreya Buddha. This is the Buddha of love. Thich Nhat Hanh was saying, he says, I don't think the Maitreya Buddha is going to be a Buddha, like a single individual Buddha. I think it's going to be a collection of beings, a community of beings. He says, because we need a community of beings, a community of love, maybe thousands, maybe millions of beings are going to be the Maitreya Buddha. Because this is what we need on earth to really act out this living, breathing teaching of the Dharma. And I really like that concept because when we're in a Sangha, we're not practicing for ourselves. We are practicing for ourselves but we're also doing our practice for the person sitting right next to us. And this is when we say in in Dharma communities and Sangha, we say, thank you for your practice and we mean it. Thank you for your practice. Because without your practice, we can never really be anything, we can't do it alone. We cannot sit here and actually meditate for longer periods of time without other beings holding the space for that, that have been through it, right? If we look and we meditate in by ourselves, sometimes, oh, our little foot hurts, or we have a little disturbing thought, or oh, I have to go do this, and we get up off the cushion and we, you know, 10 minutes, oh, no problem, you know, we leave we sit here we meditate in a group we can meditate half an hour we go on a retreat we can meditate ten hours right we can meditate for three months we can meditate for three years and that's why in the Tibetan tradition they meditate together they do three year retreats crazy but they do it together right they go into practice together and Vipassana retreat you know you do it together that so we thank each other. We rejoice in each other's practice. So if people get to go on retreat, we rejoice for them. We rejoice in the merit. And they're doing it for all of us. So thank you so much for your practice. And it's also this heart-opening opportunity. And this opportunity that's rejoicing for our heart to open and rejoice and the successes of others when we're taking refuge on that innermost level when we're knowing that that your practice is my practice right your buddha nature awakening is my buddha nature awakening this is a whole different kind of family support you know loving support for one another Another very important part about sangha is is the removal of doubt, the removal of doubt. Sangha can be our bridge between us and our Buddha nature, right? Between where we think we are and our and recon, recognizing our true Buddha nature. One of my dearest friends, he was a former monk, and when I when I met him, he was a monk, and. Uh, I was living at a retreat center and filming these teachings, and the teachings were very long—maybe, you know, eight hours a day. They were really long, just on day after day after day after day. And I remember watching him. I didn't know him. I just there was just um, in the front there would be um, a line of monks, but I remember he wouldn't move a muscle the whole time. He would just sit, and just. Like a Buddha, like perfect, you know. And he wouldn't move. I would just watch to see if he would move. I just, hour after hour, he wouldn't move. And just be amazing. And I thought then, I thought, wow, you know, he must be a Buddha. He never moves, you know. Now I know you could sit still and you could fake it, like your mind could be crazy. I, I could sit for a long time, but my mind's crazy. <laughs> but I got to be friends with him. And what I noticed, because he very gently revealed to me that we're the same. So even though I imputed this amazing uh, Buddha nature onto him, and he and he was and is really phenomenal, he's t- completely incredible. But through our friendship, I I was able to see little by little that we weren't different. That I could do it too. You know, even though I put him on a pedestal, that I could do it too. And he revealed to me and gave me that faith and the trust and removed some doubt for me that if I practiced, and I, I can do it too. You know? And that is so incredibly important that sometimes we have teachers and we have teachings and they're kind of up here, but those, those Sangha members, those that maybe have been on the path a little bit longer than us, could be the most important amazing bridge because you could say oh yeah i can go to this next step some of the some of the most important people on my spiritual path weren't my actual teachers they were the ones sitting right next to me that were further along the path than i was that allowed me that that little carrot to say i well i can get here it's very attainable i can get here and then i can get here right so it's really, really important. And again, this is why our practice for others is so incredibly important. Maybe we could be an inspiration in a small way, just as one person. That's amazing. We'd help one person in a small way move along the path a little bit. Remove a little bit of doubt. Be some inspiration for them. Incredible. Incredibly important. Here's a story. Uh just talks about the connection of taking refuge. And this is another aspect of Sangha is is this connection. We're all looking for connection and connection with a lineage is extremely profound. It's, um, it's really a transference of, of consciousness, really. And we think that uh, there's bird consciousness, there's fish consciousness, there's human consciousness, but all around us, every environment has a consciousness. Every group of people has a consciousness. So when we're taking refuge, uh, we're taking refuge uh, in a consciousness consciousness. And that kind of, that story that I was saying about when I was gossiping and my friend was holding me to a certain level of consciousness, right? saying it's like this, you know. So I was read this story. Um, this is actually uh, reiterated by Jack Cornfield, I believe. The ritual of taking refuge can transform our consciousness. Ted, a long-term prisoner, began to practice from books and tapes and provided and tapes provided through one of our Buddhist prison projects. As Viktor Frankl found in the concentration camp, Ted needed a meaningful purpose to get him through the horrors of prison. Taking refuge was a turning point for Ted. After my Lama visited and I took refuge, I took the way I was living my life more seriously. I had taken vows not to harm, not to abuse. I had to see the Buddha even in the guards. I kept to myself more And I meditated, and I did my refuges uh, early in the morning. I said them over and over, and I felt like I was rock solid. Then I was moved to another block. There was a lot of trouble there, and I had to keep taking my refuge to stay clean. I was tempted to pay back a couple of men who did me some wrong. But then I would look at them in the eye and take refuge in my heart. It helped me a lot. Everybody... Everybody's got to have refuge in something to get through here. Refuge and ritual become skillful means for for all of us. That last line, everybody's got to have refuge in something to get through here. We need refuge in something to get through here, really to get beyond the beyond, right? To get through the mental constructs of of our own making, to get through our own limitations, to get through whatever's holding us back. We have to take refuge in something. And taking refuge is as part of, it's having faith in something, but it's also moving into the unknown, into something, right? That's part of it, is that we do not know. We're just having, having faith, we're having trust. There's a saying that if you're scared of the dark, you can never see the light, right? And so this removes the fear and instead of fear we have trust so we can move into the darkness and so we could experience for real authentic authentic light. So I thought maybe today maybe we could just move to the person next to us, just just groups of two, and maybe talk a little bit about um, either how a spiritual friend or having spiritual friends have helped you. You could just maybe just talk it out. You don't need to, oh my gosh, I can't think of anything. But maybe just have a conversation of how spiritual friends have maybe helped you uh, in the past, or a friend. And, and this is not just for the Dharma. I mean, this is, you know, Dharma is a label too. I was sitting with this amazing teacher, Kinshira Rinpoche, just so wonderful. And we're sitting there and this person in the Sangha, in a very traditional Buddha Sangha, said he just, ha- he just uh, got into a new relationship with his new girl. And she was really amazing. She was kind. Uh, She had a ton of wisdom. She was so very generous, uh, innately loving, but she didn't want to move into the Dharma. So he couldn't get her into the Gampa. couldn't move her into the Buddhist tradition. And he thought that it was going to be a conflict. So poor Kinshin Rinpoche, he didn't know any English. So he's going through the translator and the translator is translating this to him in Tibetan. And Kinsha Rinpoche is completely confused. And uh, the translators, they're laughing back and forth. And uh, finally he gets it. And he's like, oh, you know. So he tells the translator, and the translator is laughing. He says, Kinsha Rinpoche, Rinpoche says the Dharma is working fine for her. Mm. He couldn't, he said, if she's compassionate, mm-hmm. wisdom, how. How is he not getting it? The Dharma is alive. You know, throw out the label that the the Dharma is Buddhist or something. Or they were spiritual. Some of the most spiritual people I've met are not spiritual at all. And some people that are in great delusion consider themselves spiritual. You know, we have to throw out, you know, those labels. Right? So, so maybe just talking about the importance. And we're just here talking about this, this outer refuge of, of spiritual friends. So maybe talking about what spiritual friendship has meant to you, uh, and that can be you know, any kind of spiritual friendship, any kind of friendship that has helped you. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.